What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with the rate shock rocking Wall Street as yields surge to their highest level in decades. Futures right now are higher. And breaking this morning, Microsoft restructuring its takeover deal for Activision Blizzard to appease the one regulator still standing in its way. We will speak with her in a first on CNBC interview coming up. And the regional bank reckoning showing no signs of slowing down. The S&P now joining Moody's and slashing its rating on a number of major space names in that space. Plus, the wait is over. SoftBank's arm, it finally files the paperwork for a NASDAQ IPO as soon as this fall. And calling a changing world, a world order as Russia and China kick off a week-long summit focused on the BRICS. It is Tuesday, August the 22nd. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start this day and kick off this hour with a check on U.S. stock futures with the Nasdaq coming off its best day since July and the tech sector seeing its best session since May. Take a look at futures right now in the green across the board. The Dow looks like it would open up about 50 points higher. The Nasdaq about a half a percent higher in this early trade. We're also checking the bond market, seeing a lot of action there. Surging yields, they remain one of the biggest market stories of the summer. The 10-year, the benchmark, now trading at its highest level since 2007 at 4.31%. The 30-year, the long bond, we don't often talk about it, it's highest since 2011. You see it's at 4.42. And the two-year note, just a tick under 5%. Take this all together, higher rates, uh, for, uh, translates to higher rates for auto loans, credit cards, and mortgages. As of this morning, the average fixed 30-year mortgage rates are now sitting at their highest since 2000. Uh, up over last month. All right, now taking a look at the markets. This picture, uh, a bit more, and uh, bring in Marianne Bartels, Chief Investment Strategist at Sanctuary Wealth. Marianne, good morning. Thank you for being here. Good morning. Thank you for having me. I think the first question we have to talk to you about are rates. Um, obviously, they're rising. What impact do you see them having on the market if they continue to rise? Where do you see them going and finally stopping? So for the 10-year, we've been projecting 4.8 to 5%. And on the 30-year, we do think it will go to 5%. We do think if we reach those levels, that we'll find investors that haven't been able to lock in a risk-free rate in a very long time, in 16 years, actually. Um, So we think that can detract from the equity market. We think it will be challenging for the markets. So we've been anticipating a market pullback, and we think that pullback is going to be very choppy, and that can actually go all the way through October. You know, you're actually calling for more than a a pullback, according to your notes. You're actually calling for a correction, 5 to 10 percent for the S&P, even more for the NASDAQ. Now, a lot of these two indexes, they have a lot of those big tech names that really dominate them. Why do you see a deeper pullback for the Nasdaq? What's the catalyst for that? Well, it, it, it's pretty simple math. S&P was up 15 percent. Nasdaq was up 30 percent. So what goes up the most will come down the most. So that's why it just gets a deeper correction. 
Okay. Are there certain areas of the, uh, the NASDAQ you see especially hit? Is it just simply mega cap tech drawing both of them down as we see um, pressure from valuations and higher yields? It's probably going to be across the board, but, you know, mega cap tech certainly would be a major impact. Okay. Um, Looking more broadly, we're seeing some downgrades of U.S. banks. Right now it's regional banks, but we have heard, you know, some there are some thoughts by these rating agencies, Fitch and Moody's, that they're also going to look at the larger banks. How do you see that weighing on the markets today? This has been an area of concern for us. Um, We've been calling banks value traps. The stocks may look very uh, very cheap. But we don't really want to go there because of the concern of higher rates, the concern that the uh, unrealized losses are growing on uh, the bank's balance sheets. And the ones, the banks that are most vulnerable are the regional banks. And, you know, if we continue to get downgrades, this is going to weigh on the banks. All right. Marianne Bartels from Sanctuary Wealth. It is great to have you here. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, turn now to this morning's breaking news. In a very rare move, UK regulators say they will take a fresh look at Microsoft's $69 billion deal for Activision Blizzard after Microsoft submitted a restructured deal to the country's Competition and Markets Authority. As of this morning, the UK CMA remains the lone regulator still holding that deal up. Under the terms of the new deal, Microsoft said it would sell the cloud rights of all and current future Activision games released during the next 15 years to French gaming giant Ubisoft Entertainment. Shares of Ubisoft moving higher on that news, along with Microsoft also up a half a percent, Activision Blizzard up one percent. For more on this, joining me now in a first on CNBC interview is the chief executive of the UK Competition and Markets Authority, Sarah Cardell. Sarah, good morning. Thank you for being here. Good morning. All right. So this is some breaking news that we're covering for our audience. Again, I do want to highlight that the CMA is the lone regulator holding up this deal. You have a self-imposed deadline of October 18th to make a decision on this revised proposal. Can you share your initial thoughts about the proposal? Yes, so there are two important developments, actually, for us to update on today. The first is that we have finalized the legal order that confirms the prohibition of the original deal between Microsoft and Activision. And that's important because it means that original deal cannot proceed. Uh, As you have said, Microsoft have today announced a restructured deal, which appears to be really quite a substantially different deal. In particular, it means that Microsoft will no longer be acquiring the cloud streaming rights in relation to all of Activision's games. Instead, those rights will be sold separately by Activision to Ubisoft. That presents a a fundamentally different deal for us to look at. And we have announced today the start of a new investigation with a deadline of the 18th of October to complete that review. Okay. So according to reports, Microsoft held Just over 60% of the cloud gaming market in 2022, that was without the Activision Blizzard titles. Uh, That includes Call of Duty, Candy Crush, a lot of popular games we're just showing the audience a minute ago. Um, How do you see allowing Ubisoft to offer those titles for the next 15 years? How does that shape the competition over that period of time? So it's important to go back to our original decision to to block the deal. Um, We were driven there by concerns about competition in the cloud gaming market, making sure that that market, which is developing rapidly remains open to competition. Uh, We want to make sure that gamers can get the benefit of innovation and choice in that market. Now, what we had concerns about originally was the combination of Microsoft's very strong position in cloud with Activision's content in games. And in particular, that Activision would have the ability to control how that content, that Microsoft, sorry, would have the ability to control how that content was distributed. What we have now is a new transaction structure which puts that control in the hands of a separate party, an independent games company, 
Ubisoft. And Ubisoft will be able to enter into all sorts of separate licensing deals with other cloud gaming providers, uh, for example, supporting different kinds of subscription services, uh, being able to offer cloud gaming through non-Windows operating systems, keeping that market open. Now, we haven't taken a final decision. We are today simply opening a new investigation, but Microsoft have made clear in their statement they believe that this deal fully addresses our competition concerns. We will be investigating that in the new investigation we've launched today. All right. Again, uh, you have a self-imposed deadline of October 18th to end that investigation. I want to talk to you more broadly about regulation. So the U.K. is also addressing competition in big tech more broadly with the digital markets consumer and competition bill. It's a proposed law that your office has said addresses in part the potential competitive challenges of A.I., so give us a sense of the importance of this bill more broadly. How could it potentially impact some of our big U.S. tech companies? So we all recognize that digital markets bring huge, huge benefits to consumers, to businesses. Uh, and no regulation should stand in the way of those benefits. But we do want to make sure that companies who have very substantial power in those markets are not able to dominate those markets in a way that stops effective competition because competition brings choice, it brings innovation, and it brings lower prices. So the proposals that are coming through from the UK government to introduce this new legislation will give the CMA the ability to regulate uh, those companies who have very substantial, entrenched, long-lasting market power in relation to particular digital activities. And there will be rules that control how those companies engage in those markets. Now, I should say that we, uh, we would encourage companies to engage really actively and collaboratively with us as those new rules come through. Uh, we see this as being an opportunity really to work very closely with companies to make sure that those markets remain open and competitive and deliver real benefit to all sorts of businesses, large and small, UK and international, and from our perspective, to UK consumers. All right. A lot to watch there. The UK CMA now investigating Microsoft's updated proposal to acquire Activision Blizzard. Self-imposed deadline of October 18th. Sarah Cardell, chief executive of the CMA. Thank you very much for your time and for your insight. Thank you. All right. We're going to stick with tech and the developing story in the IPO space. After many months of waiting, SoftBank-owned Arm finally filed paperwork for a Nasdaq IPO, reportedly shooting for a debut as soon as next month. Let's bring in CNBC senior tech reporter Arjun Kapal. Arjun, good morning. What do we know? Good morning, Frank. Look, we have very few details yet, but we know ARM will be listed on the NASDAQ under the ticker ARM. We don't have pricing yet. That will come later. But there have been a number of reports suggesting the company could be valued around $70 billion. One thing we do know is this. This is an incredibly important moment for Arm and for SoftBank, which bought the chipmaker in 2016 for $32 billion. SoftBank has since transformed itself into the world's biggest tech investor through the massive Vision Fund, but it sustained heavy losses. So this is a chance for SoftBank really to shore up its balance sheet and perhaps get more funds for investing in new firms as well. For Arm, it's looking to ride the chip sector and AI boom. Arm is one of the most important chip firms in the world. It designs effectively the blueprints for which other chips are based on 99% of small smartphones contain an ARM-based chip, but is looking to push into new areas like data centers and PCs. Whether it can achieve a lofty valuation, in my view, is going to depend very heavily on if it can convince investors that it has a major role to play in AI. ARM said in its filing that it believes it will be central to AI-enabled computing. Given the huge excitement we've seen around companies like NVIDIA, uh, SoftBank has timed this to really capitalize on that AI optimism. The IPO uh, will certainly be a test of market appetite, really. 
really on whether this AI wave will continue, Frank. Live in London, Arjun, thank you very much as always. All right, a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, S&P joins Moody's taking the axe to nearly half a dozen regional banks as the sector's reckoning shows no signs of slowing down. Plus, call it a changing world order as Russia and China kick off a week-long summit focused on the BRICS. We take a look at the key themes of that meeting coming up next. We have a very busy hour of Worldwide Exchange coming up. Stick with us. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. All right, welcome back. Let's get a check on this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana, good morning. Hi, Frank. Good morning to you. All right, well, S&P Global Readings downgrading Keycorp, Comerica, and three other regional banks in the U.S. on concerns over the impact of rising interest rates and deposit outflows on the bank's funding capabilities. Valley National, UMB Financial, and Associated Bank rounding out the list of downgrades, with S&P also lowering the outlook for River City Bank and S&T Bank to negative and keeping its view of Zions Bancorp as negative. The world's largest miner, BHP Group, dipping after reporting a 37% full-year profit decline due to pressure from China's struggling economy. BHP citing slowing demand for iron ore and other commodities. And though it expects China and India to remain a steady source of commodity demand, the miner is slashing its dividend by nearly 50%. And Tesla looking to extend yesterday's gain where it rose more than 7 percent, snapping its six day losing streak and marking its biggest single day gain since March 21st. The bounce helped in part by Baird putting Tesla on its list of best ideas and saying it sees several catalysts in the coming months, including the Cybertruck launch, adoption of its autonomous driving tools and continued expansion into new markets, Frank. Yeah, and Tesla shares up more than 3.5% this morning. Silvana, we'll see you later in the show. Thank you. All right, turn our attention now back overseas. Leaders of Brazil and China and other countries are gathering in Johannesburg, South Africa today to kick off a two-day BRICS summit and what's being seen in some circles as a show of unity in the face of Europe and the U.S. Our Arabile Gumade joins me now with what's at stake and the key themes to watch. Arabile. Yeah, good morning, Frank. So there really are four key themes to really look out for. It's really going to be an increase in trade between the five five nations. Also going to be trading in their local currency. De-dollarization has become a topic as well, quite significant. Expansion of the BRICS nations will be a third. And the final one will be funding. 
Will that continue out in these nations? Now, trade has been quite significant to really note. Ever since this coin, of, uh, or rather the term BRICS was coined back in 2010, well, you've seen an increase in trade with Africa in particular as that emerging market uh, sphere to kind of look at. And really what has happened over that time is that the U.S. has actually dipped off with regards to how much it invests in Africa, while China has actually gone a whole lot higher. In fact, of the United States' foreign trade, this makes up 1%. Africa's only 1% of the U.S.'s foreign trade, while for China, that makes up 5% of their foreign trade then. So that tells you the key significance and importance for that nation. If we can take a look at that expansion picture, which now means that there's perhaps going to be a little bit more of a rearguard action for the BRICS nations, this is going to be very significant. If they're going to maintain some sense of power to show that their alliance actually means something, gathering a few more entities to perhaps create a BRICS plus will be quite significant. The likes of Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, Nigeria, Morocco, Egypt, all of those have made formal requests. More than 20 countries have, in fact, asked to be part of the BRICS nations. And whether those will be agreed to in this meeting will be quite significant. All five nations would have to agree. And let's remember the last time a country was allowed to come into BRICS was South Africa back in 2010. Very finally, though, what does this then mean for these, uh, the equity markets in all of these nations? Well, a bit of a mixed picture. The Shanghai Composite is the only one having dipped off around 4% there, while the Russian market has actually gone up 40%. Let's remember that a whole lot of money was uh, staying in the country during this time, particularly uh, since the invasion of Ukraine, while a positive sense for some of the others, even the Nifty 50, going up nearly 10%. So it's going to be a whole lot about collaboration, Frank, but the key question marks, will they find more partners? All right, Arabile Gumade, live in London. Arabile, thank you very much. All right, ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, we're talking the cloud and AI with the CEO of Wix. He joins me in a Worldwide Exchange exclusive. That's coming up next. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's been a buzzword all year on Wall Street with no signs of slowing down, of course, We're talking about artificial intelligence, the rapid rise in AI giving a boost to hundreds of companies with nearly 40 percent of S&P 500 names mentioning AI in their most recent earnings calls. And that includes your next guest who says AI is helping his customers create, manage and grow much more efficiently than ever before. Avishai Abrahami is the CEO of Wix.com, a company offering website building services in more than 230 companies. And he joins me now in a worldwide exchange exclusive. Good morning. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Frank. All right. So as we mentioned, your core business is website development. Give us a sense of the demand picture right now. Well, what we're seeing uh, currently about a million and a half users joining Wix every month to build their website. Uh, Overall, we have a bit of uh, over 300 300 million uh, users that registers and are working on some level over their website or did in the past. So we're seeing very solid demand. All right, so you're seeing pretty strong demand. Um, a lot of your customers are obviously small and medium-sized businesses and individuals. 
Um, what are you seeing when it comes to pricing and ability to spend? Well, obviously, right, with the economy now is not in a great place. So, of course, it influences a, a, and has some influence on our business. However, if you uh, think about it today, your website is the most, uh, pretty much the most important part of your business when you build the business. So we still see uh, growth and, 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 and solid demand. All right, let's talk a little bit about AI. You mentioned it quite a bit on your most recent earnings call. You really focused on not only what it's going to do for your customers, but what it's going to do for website development and code writing in general. You say it's going to stop a lot of errors that may pop up in code and in general make more efficient and easier to use websites. So as, as we see that trend continuing, what does that mean for the companies that use your sites? Well, obviously, I think that if you look at it, the core value of Wix has always uh, been uh, reducing the friction when you try to build a new page, new content to the complete website. And then, and then again, reducing the friction when you try to understand how to manage your business better, right? What happened yesterday, how you should react, how you should create a new campaign, what products you should offer. Now, with the power of AI, we can actually help our customers do it way better and simpler. If you want to write something, you want to write a blog post, you want to write an answer, you want to have an automatic support for your customers, you want to know what you need kind of products to add, AI can help you achieve all of that. So in many ways, we believe that it will continue to help us in new ways to enhance our core offering of reducing the friction of when you are trying to do something for your business on your website. So that's for the website itself. But what does it mean for the business? Does this allow them to collect more data through the website if you use AI? What's the business function going forward once that website's developed? Because I'm sure that's what your customers really want. They don't just want to build a website. They want a website that helps them grow their business. Yeah, absolutely. But let's take an example for that, right? So one of the big questions that you have is that if you have e-commerce, will be what kind of products should you add? What kind of products are lacking in your store, right? This is something AI can do very well. How do you promote your products? And if you're a gym, how you promote it? You have an event, you have a class, and AI can write the content for you in order to promote that business, can actually manage the campaign, which is something we already do, and then automatically put it, push it into Google, into Facebook, into any other kind of an ad agency. So there is, and the result from that, the value for the business is that you have to know less on how to do it yourself. Okay. And in addition, you can do it more efficiently and probably get better results. All right, Evashai, one big story just globally right now, rising rates here in the United States, rates coming up to multi-year highs right now. How does that impact Wix directly? And then how do you think that impacts your customers? Well, I think that for us directly, it says less significant. But I think for our customer, it's tremendous significant. I mean, a lot of our customers will be the small businesses, tiny businesses or private people. And I think... With the interest rate going higher, it, it has influence, of course, of struggling the economy in many ways. So I believe that we're going to see that it has influence. We've seen it in the amount of transactions that customers have. And we have probably the boldest view on, on, on the planet, right? We have 192 countries in which we offer weeks and, 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 and more than 10 million people that do some kind of business on weeks. Okay. So we can actually see, and I think that, of course, is tremendous effect on the economy of small businesses. All right, Avishai Abrahami, the CEO of Wix. Great to have you here. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Bye. All right, straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, we're going to stick with AI. We take a look at NVIDIA, Microsoft, and more looking at who's delivered 
and who's failed to impress when it comes to their high hopes for the Red Hot Tech. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up after this. It is right around 5.30 a.m. here in the New York City area, and there's still a lot ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. Wall Street's rate shock doing very little to dent investor appetite for equities, at least in the early going. Futures are popping. Also breaking this morning, Microsoft restructuring its takeover deal for Activision Blizzard to appease the one regulator still standing in its way. What the head of the UK CMA told us in a first on CNBC interview that's coming up. And getting set for retail, we take a closer look at Lowe's and if it can buff the consumer spending slowdown trend. It is Tuesday, August the 22nd, 2023, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start this day. As always, you pick up the half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures. Taking a look right now, the Dow would open up almost 60 points higher. The Nasdaq more than a half a percent higher. The S&P fractionally higher. The Nasdaq coming off its best day since July and the tech sector seeing its best session since all the way back in May. We're also looking at the bond market this morning, taking a look at surging yields. They remain one of the biggest market stories of this summer and really of the year. The 10 year now trading at its highest since 2007 at 4.31. The 30 year, the long bond, we don't often talk about it. The highest since 2011 right now at 4.42. And as we mentioned earlier, the two year note just ticking very close to a 5 percent yield. We also want to look at the energy market. Oil specifically, as always, we start with WTI, the U.S. benchmark, down fractionally this morning at 80.58. Brent crude, very similar story at 84.42. More action in natural gas, down 1.5%. All right, turning our attention now to the retail sector, kicking off another busy week of earnings with Lowe's set to report before the open. This coming one week after Home Depot, it topped expectations, but posted a 2% year-over-year sales decline, amid a slump in consumer spending. Still, it's been a relatively strong session for the retailers with Walmart, Home Depot, and Target all beating on EPS estimates. Target, the only name bucking the trend, missing on revenue and slashing its full-year guidance. Let's talk more about Lowe's and the retail sector with Michael Lasser, hardline and broadline analyst at UBS. Michael, good morning. Morning, Frank. All right, give us a sense of what you're expecting from Lowe's coming up, as well as your rating and your price target. So we are expecting that Lowe's is going to show the home improvement sector is bouncing along the bottom. Um, it's probably going to do um, a comp that's a little bit lower than Home Depot, most likely in the down 3% area, given that it has less exposure to some of the factors that had improved for Home Depot from the first to the second quarter. That's like California, uh, the pro-sub customer segment. Uh, still, we think that Lowe's is going to show that it's generating a track record of consistency, which over time should lead to better performance of the stock. We have a buy rating uh, and $170 price target. All right. Very interesting. 170. Interesting. <laughs> sorry. Two, sorry. Two hundred. Oh, I'm about to say, Michael, you're, you're very bearish yeah, yeah, on this yeah. stock. I was yeah, just yeah. taking a look. 270 to be clear. So you have a good amount of upside for Lowe's. Um, very different story than 170. So I do want to ask you, we just talked about mortgage rates hitting a multi-year high yesterday. At, uh, I believe it was 7.137. Either way, a 20-year high when it comes to mortgage rates. How does that impact the business of Lowe's, where it's a much higher percentage of do-it-yourselfers? So what's happening with these high mortgage rates, Frank, is that it's forcing people to stay in place. It's becoming too expensive to move, especially in light of folks having Mortgages that are largely struck at 3 to 4%, existing mortgages that are struck at 3 to 
So there's a strong disincentive to move at this point. As a result, uh, consumers are looking around saying, if I'm going to be here for a while, I want to do some work on my home. And that is benefiting the home improvement sector. Where there's been an offset is some of those purchases that we all did during COVID, such as buying a new grill or patio furniture or some appliances. Lowe's has a little bit more exposure to those areas, and, and that's where it's seeing weakness right now. What about rising rates? How does that impact Lowe's? Again, we talked about how it impacts the housing market, which directly impacts Lowe's. But how does it impact Lowe's overall business and also the broader retail sectors? We continue to talk about rates rising. So it could lead to uh, less appetite to do big ticket remodels, uh, given that consumers tend to finance those with either a, a home equity line or some other form of credit. Uh, so that it's going to make those uh, purchases a bit more expensive, the, the rising interest rates. What we expect, though, in lieu of that, is consumers will do smaller items. Uh, instead of redoing their entire kitchen, they may do a backsplash or a countertop. And so we'll see more modular purchases over time. Um, as rates come down, it will provide an incentive to do some of those larger ticket purchases. So, so that's Lowe's. What about broader retail? Broader retail has uh, seen a, a continuation of trends from the last couple of quarters where uh, consumable prices prices on things like food and household products are very expensive, and that's crowded out spending on uh, more discretionary purchases. Now, the rate of inflation is coming down, and that's, that is good news because uh, wages are still growing. That means that the consumer has more uh, purchasing power for those things like sporting goods, uh, consumer electronics, furniture. Eventually, that should lead to better trends. But right now, uh, the consumer is showing more desire to buy needs rather than wants. All right, Michael Lasser, great to see you. Thank you very Thanks, much. Thanks, All right, let's stick with earnings now. And what's been a pretty wild season for AI-driven names like Microsoft, Alphabet, Meta, and NVIDIA, which in itself is coming off a more than 8% gain yesterday ahead of its scheduled earnings release tomorrow after the close. Our Steve Kovac joins me now with who's delivered and who has so far failed to impress. Steve? Yeah, Frank, a lot of lessons here. We began this year all about AI and those hype and promises, but Q2 earnings season, investors wanted to see results and most failed to deliver. Microsoft is the best example of this during its earnings call. Shares were punished after execs said that Copilot, that's the AI tool for office apps like Outlook and Teams, won't generate meaningful sales this fiscal year. In the meantime, Microsoft said it needs to spend a lot of money over the next year building out infrastructure for all of its AI projects. All this coming after investors sent Microsoft soaring just a week earlier when it announced pricing for Copilot at $30 per user per month. The lesson here, it's not just enough to put a price tag on these AI products. Investors want to see sales come in and come in soon. The major payoff may not come for some time. Now, a story slightly different at Google. It hasn't fully revealed how it will make money from AI, but it has made big promises that its core search business will benefit. Most of the optimism around those earnings, though, were due to a return in digital ad spending. And it was a mixed bag for the rest of the AI names we've been talking about all this year. Apple CEO Tim Cook told me a few weeks ago, AI plays a role in the company's products, but it's mostly under the hood, not user-facing. Amazon touted some customer wins, companies like 3M and HSBC, using AWS AI tools, but nothing about meaningful sales from that. 
And Meta has talked some about AI features like image generation and chatting with virtual avatars, but its biggest contribution was releasing its model for training AI to the world for free as an open source product. NVIDIA, though, poised to be the real beneficiary when it reports tomorrow. Lots of pressure on them, Frank. You know, big expectations for NVIDIA shares up one and a half percent right now, Steve. So there's also looking ahead a big AI event from Microsoft next month. Can we expect any new products related to its AI push? Yeah, Frank, this is likely going to be their annual uh, Surface event where they have new Surface tablets and laptops. But, of course, beyond the hardware, they have to talk about AI, how that plays into the Windows 11 ecosystem. So it's going to be interesting how they frame these new devices around this big AI push they're doing, Frank. All right, our Steve Kovacs. Steve, thank you very much. Thanks. Turn our attention now to travel, the unofficial end of summer. It is fast approaching with Labor Day. It's just around the corner. If you're looking to book a last-minute trip, be prepared to face bigger crowds this year. AAA says domestic bookings for flights, hotels, renter cars, and cruises, they're up 4% from last year, while international bookings, they're up more than 40% from last year. For more insight on summer travel and travel spending overall, I'm joined by Anna Skazafava, Senior VP and General Manager at Choice Hotel International. Anna, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Frank. All right, so Choice Hotels, you have a wide range of brands, from Radisson on the high end to all, to all the way through a, just a completely different business, Extended Stay. Give me a sense of where you're seeing the most demand. Yeah, so I think we're seeing demand across the board right now um, in all of our hotels and across all segments. Um, as you mentioned, travel spend has been high. Consumers still looking for experiences um, I think in the extended stay segment specifically, um, we tend to enjoy a occupancy premium in general over all hotels. Um, right now, the segment through first half of the year has been up 11 percent in occupancy over the rest of the transient hotels in the market. Um, and we're seeing that across the board, coast to coast, doesn't matter the market um, at this point in time. I think a lot of that has to do to our non-discretionary travelers. So we tend to work with construction crews, traveling nurses, some folks that don't necessarily looking just for leisure. So we have different demand drivers. That's interesting. When we think about travel, we generally think about leisure. But you're saying there's some other big macro factors. It sounds like you're saying infrastructure and other things that are pushing demand, especially for extended stay. Let's talk more about your high-end offering, Radisson. Sure. Um, we often hear about revenge travel. Does Radisson benefit from that? Uh, I think definitely, given the, the core markets that they're in and some of the urban markets that folks want to. And we know from a survey that we did over this summer, um, they want to be close to landmarks. They want to be close to um, different cities and places that they can bring their families that offer them different experiences. So Radisson is well set up in that portfolio. All right. There are some things challenging the consumer. We're talking about rising rates and also rising gas prices. How does that impact business and how do you see it impacting business, not only right now during the summer, but during the holiday season where travel usually picks up? Yeah, I think the good news about Choice is that we are situated mostly along the roadside, right? So if you think about our portfolio, we can cater to folks who are maybe going on their way to somewhere, maybe on to a travel um, destination from a vacation, from a, a holiday standpoint. Um, but we also have some of those lower tier brands. So right. when consumers feel that pinch, they have the opportunity to trade down into a really value conscious, affordable um, accommodation that we offer. All right. We talk about AI in almost everything. Yeah. What about AI and travel? How does it change your business? Um, how does it change perhaps how you offer, uh, you know, deals on your hotel? And also, how do you advertise? Does, does AI impact that or change that in any way? Yeah, so I think um, one of the big things that we offer for our franchisees in particular is um, an AI-driven kind of revenue management system, which has really been to allow them to price dynamically um, based on 
market conditions and demand drivers at that point in time. Um, the other way that we use um, AI specifically in extended say is from our development standpoint. So we have a proprietary algorithm that actually shows us where the demand is coming into really? um, and where it makes sense for a new product to be um, placed. And that obviously has an impact on advertising and where you want to be hyperlocal um, versus more of a national presence. All right. Wages, something we just brought up just a minute ago. Wages are rising. We've now reached real wages where wages are higher than inflation. Um, how, how do wages impact your business? How is it sourcing talent in this case, people to work at the hotel and also work there for a long period of time? I know when I stay at a hotel, it's very refreshing to, to talk to somebody that knows where the restaurants in the area are, that really knows the property, yep. as opposed to having to say, oh, I don't know, I'll get back to you. Yeah. No. So in my segment specifically, um, you know, we have a lean operating model. So in the extended stay segment, you have consumers and guests who are staying for seven, seven nights, many weeks, many months. Um, and so the labor pressures are a little bit less given the lean operating model and the housekeeping model that we have. Um, but in terms of retaining talent, that is something that um, in the extended stay model, you'll see where they tend to form you know, relationships with our guests, given to your point, um, they've been there for a really long time. And so we're not immune to those cost increases, certainly. Um, but I think there is value in being able to um, retain those employees for the long term. I told you before, I've been a choice hotel uh, consumer on many an occasion, whether I'm traveling or going somewhere. Thank you very much. Anna Skazafava, really great to have you here from Choice Hotels. Appreciate it. Thank you, Frank. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, it's been a long time coming, but the wait is over as ARM finally files for a U.S. public offering. We break down the details, what it means for SoftBank, and the questions that still remain when we come back. Stay with us right here on Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Quick market flash for you. We're watching shares of Baidu. They are popping. The Chinese tech giant reporting better than expected revenue, up 15% year over year thanks to growth in advertising. Baidu also noting, quote, generative AI and large language models hold immense transformative power and present a significant market opportunity. Again, shares of Baidu up more than 4% right now. All right, time now for your morning call sheet. We're going to begin with RBC upgrading Iron Mountain to outperforming, raising its price target to 68 bucks a share. RBC says the move reflects strong demand and pricing trends for the IT services company and prospects for growth and dividend payouts. Shares of Iron Mountain this morning up more than 1%. J.P. Morgan is raising Emerson Electric to overweight from neutral and hiking its price target by $24 to $107 a share. The firm says after a decade-long reset, visibility around positive earnings revisions is now as good as it's been since the last super cycle for Emerson, all the way back from 2003 to 2008. And now the stock appears undervalued. Shares of Emerson unchanged right now. Jeffries upgrading app-loving to buy from hold and raising its price target by 30% to 50 bucks a share. Jeff Jeffries points to greater confidence in gaining market share in the mobile ad tech segment, a higher growth outlook for software, and a bottom in the company's mobile game business, those shares of app-loving up more than 4.5%. And time now for your global briefing. Breaking this morning in a very rare move, U.K. regulators say they will look, they will take a fresh look at Microsoft's $69 billion deal for Activision Blizzard after Microsoft submitted a restructured deal to the country's Competition and Markets Authority. <clears throat> Excuse me, under the terms of that new deal, Microsoft said... It would sell the cloud rights of all current and future Activision games released during the next 15 years to French gaming giant Ubisoft Entertainment. Here's what CME Chief Executive Sarah Cardell told me earlier this hour. We haven't taken a final decision. We are today simply opening a new investigation, but 
Microsoft have made clear in their statement they believe that this deal fully addresses our competition concerns. We will be investigating that in the new investigation we've launched today. And SoftBank's Arm Holdings has taken a new step towards what's expected to be one of the biggest U.S. IPOs of this year. In a long-awaited filing late yesterday, Arm says it plans to list on the NASDAQ under the ticker Arm, with Barclays, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan Chase, and Mizuhu being the lead underwriters for that deal. And a successful public market debut by Arm would provide a massive windfall for SoftBank founder Mayasan, whose vision fund lost a record $30 billion last year. Arm reportedly plans to start its roadshow the first week of September and price the IPO the following week. No terms of the deal out just yet, but early reports suggest the chipmaker's plan, uh, plans to seek a valuation of 60 to $70 billion. Shares of SoftBank right now up 1.5% almost. All right, ahead, the one word that every investor needs to know today. But first, he has the most bullish S&P 500 year-end target on the street. And in the face of rising rates, he's here to defend that claim. Oppenheimer's John Stoltzfus is next. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up after this. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's time now for your WEX wrap-up. We begin with S&P Global Ratings downgrading five U.S. regional banks, including KeyCorp and Comerica, citing the likely impact to credit strength from funding risks and weaker profitability. This move follows a similar move by Moody's earlier this month. Zoom share is moving higher on a Q2 earnings and revenue beat, as well as a boost to its full-year guidance due to strength in its enterprise business. Still, Zoom is far from its pandemic highs, down 75% in the last three years. Taking a look at shares of Zoom, though, up more than 4% this morning. Johnson & Johnson's Kenview spinoff will replace advanced auto parts in the S&P 500 before the opening bell this Friday, moving the auto parts retailer to the S&P small cap 600 in place of emergent biosolutions. Dick Sporting Goods announcing hundreds of layoffs ahead of its quarterly results this morning, saying it plans to reinvest in critical growth drivers and will likely discuss reallocation plans during today's earnings call. Shares of Dick's up almost 1%. Pharmaceutical companies Teva and Glenmark agreeing to pay a total of $255 million for criminal charges from the Department of Justice over price-fixing three drugs, making the, make marking the largest domestic antitrust case to date. Shares of those companies mix right now in the pre-market. Charles Schwab says it plans to cut jobs and close or downsize offices in an effort to save at least $500 million this year amid pressure over lower net flows of client money and ongoing scrutiny following the collapse of SBB in March. Shares of Schwab down a half a percent right now. Here's what to watch today. July existing home sales are out at 10 a.m. Eastern. Along with the Richmond Fed Manufacturing Survey, we also get earnings from the likes of Lowe's, Macy's, Dick's Sporting Goods, Toll Brothers, and Urban Outfitters. Well, the markets are coming off a mixed session that saw the Nasdaq post its best performance in August, up 1.6%. That's despite the rise in bond yields, which have been the thorn in the side of equities, at least of late. Let's bring in John Stoltzfus, Chief Investment Strategist at Oppenheimer. John, good morning. Good morning. All right, John, you're known as one of the biggest bears on the street. Price target for the S&P 49, excuse me, bull on the street. Uh, S&P, I know, I got that one mixed up. Uh, S&P price target of 4,900. Um, do you still hold on to that price target as we see rates hit multi-year highs? Uh, we certainly do at this point, uh, uh, Frank. We, we can't help but think that, you know, higher rates right now uh, basically is a normalization of rates. 
the Fed will probably overshoot in this cycle somewhat, but it will likely also continue to show sensitivity to the effects of its actions, very much uh, part of the Ben Bernanke legacy that's still very much a part of uh, Jerome Powell's style. So uh, we, we continue to uh, be positive on equities. So positive, uh, I just want to be clear, you're maintaining that 4,900 price target? Positive on equities and uh, looking for the S&P 500 to be, weather, to be able to weather what has been uh, a, a corrective process that began over the course of the last three weeks and now seems to be uh, going back to a positive flow for equities. All right. So with all that bullishness, John, what is your wex word of the day? The wax word for the day is resilience. Uh, keep looking for resilience in in, uh, in, in earnings overall. Uh, look for resilience in the consumer, uh, in the jobs market, and, uh, and uh, con- continuation of an overall feeling of resilience in the U.S. economy. All right. So with that idea of resilience moving forward right now, and by the way, we're looking at futures moving higher in the pre-market right now. Um, you don't advise clients, but you do advise the advisors at Oppenheimer. What areas would you suggest that they allocate today in particular? Favorite areas continue to be technology, consumer discretionary, and industrials. We think they're at the core of what is uh, an effort to move towards an economic, uh, sustainable economic recovery process from the whole pandemic era uh, and from the recent uh, corrective process, which we saw in 2022. Uh, can't help but think here that, you know, interest rates at higher levels where they are now effectively is more traditional in terms of uh, someone who buys a bond actually gets something in return in terms of coupon and bond issuers have to pay for the privilege of borrowing money. And uh, that makes sense uh, to us over the long term. As you know, I've been in this business uh, for over 40 years and I can remember early on in my career in 1983, 84, 85, 86, into 87, okay. when interest rates were still remarkably higher and uh, stocks moved higher. All right. So you're also very bullish when it comes to energy. Give us a sense. What pushes energy higher? We've seen such mixed results so far this year. And also we keep saying at a slower than expected recovery in China. And maybe now it should just be a recovery. Yeah, I, I think the, the, the reality of, of the pricing of oil is that uh, we are in a process of transitioning to alternative energy. And as the use of alternative energy increases, uh, I think the thought was, you know, there would be less dependency on fossil fuel. But uh, the dependency on fossil fuel to bridge the timeline will likely cause strength in oil prices going forward. All right. We'll have to look going forward. John Stolfitz, always great to have you here. S&P price target for year end, 4,900. One of the most bullish on the street. Always great to get your insight. All right. That's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We've got Squawk Box coming up next. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, 
as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.